Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, along with co-host Jessica, the reporter Stone. Jess, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm excited about our guest today. It's good to see you. Yeah, I'm, I am too. And as always, if you like the show, hit that subscribe button and do all that good stuff. We love to hear from you. Our guest today is Anthony Scaramucci, who is the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investments firm, and the founder and chairman of SALT, a thought leadership and networking forum encompassing finance, technology, geopolitics. And he's the author of four, soon to be five, best-selling books. Uh, many may remember Anthony from his time serving on then-president-elect Trump's transition team. And when he served as the White House communications director for a period <laughs> in July 2017. Come on, Corey. You can mention that I got fired. The whole world knows that. You made the whole scare. You made a full Scaramucci. And by the way, let's just get the record straight. If you think it was 11 days. OK, yeah. if you if you start on the 21st, that counts. Right. And then if yeah. you work from the, the last day being the 31st. Do the math. It's 11. You don't go 31 minus 10. 31, you know, minus 10 equals 21. 11, it's 11 days. days. You, get, Fair you enough. get credit for both days on the way in and the way out. Well, either way. Uh, and in Trump years, that's like a full lifetime, actually, you know. <laughs> it's yeah, more than dog years. And yeah. and for what it's worth, Trump's uh, blog didn't make it th- three full Scaramucci's if we're 2. counting 2. 2.63. Like Ari Melber got that wrong. So he said 2.9. Yeah. Because it made it 29 days. And he's saying that a Scaramucci's 10 days. I don't believe that we have to get an official score. I'm going to get General Kelly out. Okay. You know, him and I, he fired me because of course Trump can't fire anybody on his own. He's too much of a baby, but so Kelly fired me and uh, we become close personal friends. Maybe we can get him on to do the official scoring. Oh, that'd be great. And by the way, when the president was like blasting me on Twitter, when he was on blast on Twitter and the three of us right now have more Twitter followers than him. Of course, if you're listening and you have a Twitter account, you have more followers than him too. <laughs> but but when he was blasting me on Twitter, I think he said it was 11 days. So I was sort of happy about that. There you go. There you go. So you made it the full Scaramucci, 11 days. We'll call it 11 days in July of 2017. Uh, Anthony has since rejoined Skybridge Capital and has been a sharp critic of the former president, as you can already tell. Uh, specifically, though, the mishandling who, of the pandemic. Who, uh, which one of you is the right winger, though? Which one of you like likes the guy? Go ahead. Oh, no, it's not. We're, we're both in the middle. Oh, you're both in the middle. Stuck okay. In the middle. I was just asking because usually I get usually one right winger. Oh, yeah. No, you're starts not. Starts in, in the on the personality cult nonsense. We want, we're going to get to know the real Anthony Scarborough. I've got, a, I've got like some very good deep programming skills, by the way. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you get these people out of the personality cult. You know, you can't get a traitor like Josh Hawley or uh, the coward Ted Cruz out of a personality cult, but you can get most rational people. Because, OK, yeah, that's probably not a good idea to destroy the nation's capital and foment a, a, an insurrection, you know. 
You know, it's funny I, when I, so I was writing this intro to introduce, because all the things, I haven't even gotten into all the charity work that you do, but I was thinking to myself, this is probably too long. He's, he's got so much to say, so much to share. I'm not going to be able to get through this uh, long introduction. But well, did my mom write the introduction though? Because if my mom wrote it, I probably have heard it before. You know? No, no, no. I wrote okay. it myself. And it'll go I, on a lot longer, I can imagine. Yes, exactly. So, so listen, I mean, here's the bottom line. I had a relationship with Donald Trump. Nobody is Donald Trump's friend. If you get somebody on your podcast that says, I'm friends with Donald Trump, they either don't understand the concept of friendship, they don't understand Donald Trump, or they're lying to you. Uh, but you are a useful acquaintance of Donald Trump's. And then the minute you're no longer useful, then he'll, you know, he'll roll you like they did in The Sopranos. You remember when they like backed up over that guy's, yeah, head, over the guy's head and they split it? Yeah, they split his head like a cantaloupe. That's Donald Trump. He doesn't care about you. You're an object in his field of vision. Um, what I find surprising about what's going on right now, his losses were so humiliating because I know the guy's personality very well. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. He lost the popular vote for the presidency twice. And he lost the presidency legitimately the second time. Uh, and I know he's completely ridiculously humiliated. Uh, and so the combination of that the failed insurrection, primarily due to his disorganization, that should be scaring everybody that's listening to this way more than it is. People are not taking that seriously enough, how crazy these people are and what they're capable of. And it's a dark side of America that he's fully exposed. It's almost like lifting that thing in your backyard and you see all the bugs underneath it. Uh, Trump's exposed that. So in one way, we're very, very lucky about that because now we rational people can look at it call it for what it is and see if we can work on fixing it. Uh, but in another way, it should make you sad that we've got that many people in the United States that would actually attach themselves to somebody like him after all the evidence is out. Now, I attached myself to him. I got it wrong. I admitted it openly. And then I did what I needed to do as a responsible American. I went after him to make sure that he didn't stay in the presidency. So um, that would include guys like General Mattis, Jim Kelly, John Kelly, excuse me, H.R. McMaster, Anybody that did not have a financial tie to Donald Trump, that did not have Donald Trump's DNA, I mean, God forbid, okay, or the third category weren't tied to him politically, or at least perceived to be tied to him politically, spoke the truth and went after him. But if you had some kind of a political expedient thing going on there, or you had some kind of financial thing, you lied through your teeth and said nice things about. Are you worried that this talk about reinstatement in August, I know it's, it's fanciful. I think they're just playing to the crowd, but do you worry that they're trying to build up to another potential insurrection or something uh, well, even well, more dangerous? Well of, well, of course they're worried about another insurrection. The reason, remember the reason why he's off Facebook and Twitter and other social media, he's a domestic terrorist. You know, so when you're, when you're looking at the fomenting of a riot like that, he is ground zero of that. He is the point of detonation. And so they had to take him off. You know, the counterterrorist group, groups in the United States and the counterterrorism, National Counterterrorism Center, you had to take him out of the social media equation and you had to effectively neuter him. So, of course, I'm worried about that. And, and you got to understand there, there are 10 or 12 percent of the people uh, that listen to this nonsense about white replacement theory or critical race theory. They've decided that Trump is uh, 
It's like uh, Charles Lindbergh had a baby with George Wallace and the baby ended up being Donald Trump. You know, they see him as the white nativist, white nationalist savior. And so, yeah, if you're not worried about it, you're not paying close enough attention. So that's why there'll be 10,000 troops in the nation's capital. Uh, and we, we will need to figure this out. And by the way, the last time we had to figure this out was 1938 to 1940. The American aviator, Charles Lindbergh, was a Nazi sympathizer, and he had teamed up with a whole cohort of people, including Father Coughlin, to talk about America first and to link ourselves to these racially pure Nazis, you know, which is another great irony because Adolf Hitler had one testicle and he was like five foot three, but somehow he, you know, was creating an Aryan race. So, so yeah, we got a, we got a very big problem on our hands. Um, I've returned to my business, Skybridge Capital, which has about $9 billion under management. We're creating new funds. We're doing the SALT conference in September, but I will be out there. If Donald Trump, uh, which I predict he won't be able to, it'll be for legal reasons, financial reasons, health reasons. He won't be running in 2024, but for some reason, if he does or his acolytes, this is the thing that scares me the most. Most of these acolytes know he's not running, yeah. but they want to be him. You see, and so we got to stop those guys. So I'll, I'll be involved somehow, some way, making sure the normal people that used to be in what was formerly known as the Republican Party uh, vote against him, vote against their kind, and stop that movement. Because that, that is a very debilitating, very un-American movement. And of course, the great irony of such a traitorous, terroristic, un-American movement is they try to cloak themselves in the American flag. Yeah. Well, I want to back up for a second. I wanted to. We, I want to learn a little bit more about you, and start by asking you about Al and Marie Scaramucci, where you grew up. If memory serves, you grew up in the blue collar part of a middle class neighborhood in yeah. Long Island. Is that the right way to put it? And you've never, you've never seen, you've never seen dysfunctionality, okay, like this, Corey. Okay, so kind of like Moonstruck, or yeah, it was like worse than Moonstruck. Because at least they were all there, I and mean, you know, like. My parents uh, got married in January of 1957. Oh, wow. Okay. So they have put 300 years of fighting into a 64-year <laughs> marriage. Okay. So I just want you to understand the concentration of fighting. Okay. Okay. And they wake up in the morning and they say, well, is Al still alive? Okay. Well, God damn it. I got to live one more day. <laughs> okay. And vice versa. Okay. So these are some of the most dysfunctional people that you could ever come across. Okay. And so my dad was a crane operator, uh, 42 years at the same company, a very hard worker. I would never uh, discredit him by telling you he wasn't. He uh, decidedly put us in the middle class. Of course, that was a time in America where no college education operating a crane in a union, you had a middle class wage. Those, those jobs don't exist anymore. That very same job out here on Long Island, it's minus 24% in terms of purchasing power. And so my mother was a makeup artist. I'm Mac 35, by the way, if you're listening, that's my color. Okay. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of it at home. I've also oh, got, got a lot of olive in your Also, if you guys, if you guys are nice to me, I've cornered, I told HR McMaster's wife that I've cornered the North American market on Botox. So you better be nice to me if you want to get a shot. Okay. All the Botox is here in my garage. In the basement with the books, right? Yeah. It's in the, in the basement with my best selling books. I, I, told Jessica that I, I'm a best-selling author. If you don't believe me, come into my basement. But you're asking about my parents. They were old school Italian. Um, my dad was a strict disciplinarian. 
They didn't read much. I mean, if they had the daily news in the house, that was great. Um, but I got very, very lucky. I ended up uh, growing up in a town that had a phenomenal public school system. So, you know, like every town, whether it was Greenwich, Connecticut, Aspen, Colorado, you pick these super Tony towns. They have blue collar and working class people in those towns. And so I lived in the working class area uh, and I got a great public school education from uh, K to 12. Um, I had, you know, good grades. I was a little bit of a townie. So I just, want to, I just want to set the scene for you. I had my 1979 Burgundy Camaro Berlinetta with Pioneer <laughs> Power Booster. I had, you know, you want me to really gross everybody out? I mean, you, you said this is an explicit podcast. So yeah. I just want to let you know how dumb I was. Not saying I've gotten any smarter, but I had shirts in the trunk of that little tiny car. So I would go to these Long Island discos as a kid. And what would we do? We'd get out of the car. We do like 50 push-ups in the parking lot just to pump the chest and the buys a little bit. Okay. The and then we go into the disco. Of course, someone like Jessica, I would turn to her and say, would you dance with me? She would then say no, because she was probably revolted by me with the blown back hair and the gold chains and the and the tan from Jones Beach. Right. And so she oh, but say, come on, Jones Beach. Right. Well, maybe the Jones Beach could have won her over, but she would have been revolted by the whole thing. So then, you know, my next move is I go back to the car. I'd open up the trunk of the car. I change shirts. Oh, go back would... into the disco. And I would say, Hey, it must've been the shirt. Now that was always good for buying of a drink or a dance. Okay. Most, most people wilted under that level of persistent, playful pressure. What was the shirt that really sold women on you, Anthony? Was there a color? Was there a pattern? So, you know, black, I mean, black at the end of the day, I was there with a blue or a red shirt. And then I, and then I came back in with the black one, but, but yeah, so there was listen, a formula. You know, <laughs> yeah, so some people are now listening. They're completely revolted. But let me just put it to you this way. This is how we grew up. We didn't know any better. OK, when I got into Harvard, my mother thought it was Hartford. Yeah. So she's packing the car and she's like, we're going to Hartford. I said, no, mom. Oh, my God. I, I heard a story about Tufts, we're, too. We're, Tufts. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, my Tufts. My father thought it was T-O-U-G-H-S. It sounds like Rondi Dangerfield shit, but this stuff is not made up. You can't even make <laughs> up material this good. Right. So they had no clue. They had no clue where I went to school. Um, when I got to Goldman, my mother couldn't understand that it wasn't a law firm, the Goldman Sachs, the investment bank. But, you know, here's the thing. You go from that kind of family into places like Goldman Sachs, you are a fish out of water. And so I've told this story before, but I'll share it with your listeners. I'm at the Charles Hotel. It's 1988. I'm in a interview, my introductory interview at Goldman. I'm wearing a 100% black polyester suit from Cy Sims. I've got a white on white polyester shirt and I got a black Guido tie on. That is not enough though for this interview because I really want to dress my best. I've got these cockroach killer shoes on, you know, they were pointy in the front. Oh, yeah. You could kill cockroaches in the corner of the kitchen. Yeah. So those were called capizios. Okay. So I'm yeah. really dating myself. And so I show up there, hair blown back, uh, and I'd go in there and then these Goldman Sachs partners don't know what to do. And they started asking me about the TED spread, net present value. They're asking me about the Euro swap. And of course, I'm answering all the questions and the guy hands me a magic marker. He says, OK, write down a net present value uh, equation and, and tell me how to uh, dividend discount back this cash flow. So I get the paper, I put it up on a wall. He looks at me. I look at him. I got the answer right. He looks at me. He looks at me. He goes, can, I, can I see you for a second? I said, yeah. He goes, listen, man, you seem like a nice kid. I, I want to invite you 
down to Goldman. You are the worst dressed person that we've ever met at the Harvard Law School. The worst dressed person. Corey, this sounds a lot like stories you've got. Yes. I remember being embarrassed by that. So, you know, the point is you can go from nothing and hunger to something, but you're going to get bruised. You're going to have a lot of self-conscious moments. And of course, you know, I've been fired before too. You know, I got fired from Goldman. I got hired in, in uh, August of 1989, fired by February of 91. Then I lucked out and got rehired by these people. Um, The, the personnel director was like, Hey, you know, we're only going to have to mark you down as interdepartmental transfer, but we need the $11,000 severance check back. I'm like, you can tell the whole world I got fired. You're not getting that money back. So I left there 25 years ago, built a business, sold a business. um, And then I started Skybridge 16 years ago. And I'm an entrepreneur. I like business. But how did I get sucked into politics? I had no network, guys. When you come from hunger like me, what do you do? You got to meet people. I can't hit a golf ball. I can't swing a tennis racket. I don't know the difference between the boarding schools and the, the different hand signals and stuff like that. I have no idea. So I started writing political checks to people. My first check was to Rudy Giuliani. You ever hear of him? Do you regret that <laughs> now? Yeah. Anthony, do you regret that no, now? No, I, I, don't, I don't regret that now. I'm sorry that the mayor has taken this turn with his life and his career, but- well, when he was running in 2000, in 1989, my $250 check. City. I'm sorry? He cleaned up New York City. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I just interviewed Bill Bratton for his new book. I think I have it here somewhere. Uh, great new book. You guys should try to get him on your podcast. Uh, it's called uh, The Profession mm. About Policing. And Bill said the same thing that I would say to you. He was a tough guy, Machiavellian, but he... At that point, he was more stable emotionally and mentally. He wanted to clean up the city and he put the forces in shape that returned the quality of life to this great city. Uh, We're, we're of course, back in shambles three short decades later. But when Rudy lost that election, that was very good for me because he helped me. And he went back to his law firm. He started introducing me to people. I was building my business at Goldman. Then he introduced me to a guy named George Pataki. You remember him? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Governor. Governor so, so now this is where it gets, uh, this is where it gets really crazy. Okay. Right. He introduced me to Pataki. I'm now young Republican fundraiser for Pataki. Rudy leaves the campaign and endorses Mario Cuomo. Does anybody remember that? You probably don't remember that, but that yes. was like, you know, he's, I mean, he's Gugutz. Okay. That's what, what would an Italian say? Gugutz means you got a chicken running around inside your head. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and so that's him. He's been that way his entire life. So, you know, I love him. I pray for him. I tell people I choose to remember Rudy Giuliani the day after 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. When he spoke from his heart compassionately and he was really trying to figure out a way to mourn the dead, repair the city and bring life back into the city and let people know that this is really one of the more special places in the world. I don't want to look at him today, fast forward with the hair dye dripping and the lunacy and the lies and all of the dispersions. But but that's how I got into politics. It was all accidental. So now I'm fundraising for different candidates and I'm a garden variety Republican fundraiser. Then there's a guy that I went to law school with. His name's Barack Obama. <laughs> uh, he's running for president. So one of my buddies calls me, they say, hey, Mooch, this guy's running for president. You remember Barack Obama? We used to play hoops with him, hang out with him. I'm like, no, I don't remember the guy. I had no recollection of the guy. Well, he spoke at the uh, DNC. A little convention. thing called the DNC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay, I remember from that. I don't remember him going to law school. 
will you come to the fundraiser? So I walk into the fundraiser. I was giving everybody back then. I gave to Hillary Clinton. I gave to Chuck Schumer. You know, it was a political fundraiser. So I had a check in my lapel. And by the way, I was wearing Brioni by that time. Okay. I'd gotten embarrassed into like good clothing. And so I walk into the, to the room, Senator Obama's there, Senator Obama, how are you? I said, listen, I said, we apparently went to law school together. I'm about to write you a big check. I would like to be able to lie to everybody and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school. Are you cool with that? As I'm handing him the check, he looks at me and he says, well, if you, if you double the amount of the check, we could take it back to Hawaii. <laughs> okay, I thought it was a great line, right? And so he's got the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. I mean, he can light up a room. I think his smile and his charisma went a long way to helping him become president. So I, I ripped up the check. I wrote him a new check. I was Hawaii. Well, Hawaii was great. Back in the day when him and I were playing hoops together at that high school, it was yeah, great. Right, right. No, no, but 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 the but the truth be told, you know, I was the garden variety, semi-agnostic fundraiser, you know, when Mitt Romney and I, when Mitt Romney made the decision to run against Barack Obama, because I was a lifelong Republican, I went to go work for him. He's a very stable guy, terrific human being, would have been a great president, but such is life. And so, uh, and just for the record, you know, Trump was not my first pick. He was not my second pick. He was the Republican Party's pick. And so I had I was with Scott Walker and then I rotated into Jeb oh. Bush after Scott came out of the race. I was working with Jeb. Jeb dropped out of the race. You guys may remember this, but candidates were signing pledges that they were going to back whoever the eventual nominee was. Yeah. And so Jeb uh, signed that pledge, but he said he wasn't going to back Trump because Trump wasn't a quote unquote Republican. So he didn't back him. I decided to back him. Uh, and that was obviously a mistake, but you guys don't have time for all the mistakes that I made. Um, but that was a mistake. So I backed them. I went out and went to raise money for them. I was flying around and did 71 campaign stops with them in 2016. Uh, they needed media surrogacy. It was a very thin staff. I did media surrogacy for him. He wanted me to co-chair the financing with Stephen Mnuchin. Stephen is a very good guy. Country was well served by Stephen as treasury secretary, in my opinion. And I said, I can't do that because I'm, I'm hosting Wall Street Week on cable TV on the Fox Business Channel, and they won't let me do that. I can be on your committee. He wins. And then I, stupid mistake, I don't know, like H&R Block 2000, he turns to me the day after the election, says, you're, you're going to come work for me. And I was like, nah, I don't, don't really want to do that. My wife hates Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, you know, I know <laughs> Melania probably hates him the most, okay? But she's like a close, she's up there. She's in that ring of like silver medalist hatred. And so I said, nah, it's okay. I'm good, Mr. President, like, don't worry. And then he did what he always does. He, he does stuff without telling you. And he ends up uh, uh, putting me on his transition team. So I'm watching television, CNBC. I'm in my old office at Skybridge. We've moved since then. And it's it lists the 10 people that are named to his transition team. I'm one of them. I pick up the phone. I said, well, ah, you're going to come work for me. Just relax. You know, come help me pick the cabinet and help me do this. And so since we're into mistakes, let me tell you another big mistake. You put your pride and you put your ego into your decision making. It is a unmitigated disaster. And so now I'm talking to myself about my blue collar upbringing and I built this nice successful hedge fund business and I'm going to go work for the president of the United States. How about that? 
What a life story. This is myself talking to myself, all egocentric, all prideful. Anthony, can I, can I ask you something yeah, about uh, mm-hmm. being, I know there's so many business people drafted into the administration. Um, and I wonder for you, what was the biggest shock coming into government after being on Wall Street for so long? So, I mean, look, the biggest shock is there's no understanding of the people's incentives. So on Wall Street, we're all scumbags, let's face it, cutthroat scumbags, but there's like a mutuality of understanding. We're all searching for money. And so you're all on the green team. Okay. So you want to make money, Jessica, I want to make money. Let's do a deal together to make money. And so you're probably not going to carve out my right eyeball and throw it into the sewer because, you know, let's put it this way. You hate my guts, but there's a billion dollars on the table and you have to fake liking me to get 500 million of it. So you're going to fake like me and we're going to split the 500 million. In Washington, there's no green team. So you don't know what the hell is going on. Some guy wants to sit closer to the president. The other guy needs a West Wing office. This guy needs to be in the uh, galley when the speaker of the house is uh, gaveling the president for the state of the union. You don't know what the hell is going on. There's no green team. And, and you know why Washington sucks worse than anything is because the stakes are so small. They'll carve each other's eyeballs out for the most ridiculous, stupid things. And you can't work on a rubric of forming an incentive for them. You don't really understand it other than power itself or proximity to power. But unfortunately, that's a very narrow, limited funnel. And that's why they're trying to kill each other down there. But but that should have been a good place for you because- in addition to being an actual successful entrepreneur, one of the things that, I, from what I understand that you've done well is sizing up talent. Like you, you, you can get a pretty good sense of somebody pretty shortly after you meet them. So if you were able to identify what this person's objective is, what this person wants, just like you just yeah. said it, it should have been a pretty uh, fertile yeah, ground. Because for you. you can't, you can't figure out the incentives though, Corey, I agree with you, you know, like, and I got Trump wrong, you know, cause I had Trump as more common sense in his orientation, I didn't, I underestimated Trump's insecurity. I mean, you never met anybody as insecure. You will never find anybody more insecure than Trump. That's why there's a vacuum and a black hole that has to go to attention, a black a vacuum and a black hole when it comes to decision-making and accountability. You know, you never, you never met anybody that he literally has no executive management skills. He could never run anything. So one of the things I wanted to push back on a little bit is yeah. you had to have known a little bit about it. I mean, you started at Goldman in the in the late 80s. I I I started out in the professional world as a series seven, series 63 as well. My firm, I wasn't at Goldman. I was I was at a firm that was started by the junk bond guys. They made their first fortune in junk bonds. So they they were doing business with Trump. The other guys that I graduated high school with were also doing business with Trump, but they were getting their first big projects uh, laying in the plumbing at, at the Taj or the landscaping at one of his other hotels. So I had a sense, even as a kid, as a 20 nothing year old kid, I had a sense that of from hearing about his junk bond deals and, and, and he was already starting to file some BKs, as well as my guys that were laying in the plumbing and weren't getting paid for 12 to 18 months. And when they did, they were getting 30 cents on the dollar. So you had to have known, or maybe you didn't, you had to have known no, that this was- No, no, your pushback is a thousand percent correct, but I, I own it. So I not only knew that everything that you just said, I hit the cognitive dissonance override switch uh, to fulfill my ego. 
but Trump is a narcissist. Yeah. That's okay. I'm going to go work for the president. But Trump doesn't pay his vendors, the, all the ones that you just mentioned. Well, that's okay. I'm going to go work for the president. Trump says racist, nonsensical things. Well, you know why? Let me override on that as well. I'm going to go work for the president. You know. Yeah. But uh, my wife, Deirdre, hey, the guy's the worst guy that I've ever met. You can't go do this. He's going to hurt you, our family, and the country. Okay, that's okay. Let me override that as well. And so um, not only is that should have been back, the biggest red flag right there. When, when the wife speaks yeah, up, you know, I mean, she was, she was a thousand percent right. I mean, it's and, intuition. And, and, yeah. by the, and by the way, you know, you know, if you had general Kelly on or HR McMaster or general Mattis, they would all say the same thing. They thought that they were serving the country. Yeah. Uh, but in hindsight, for me, I knew better. I think if you're making the point, didn't you know, the answer is yes. Did you know better? The answer is yes. Well, why did you do it anyway? Foolish pride yeah. and egocentrism is the answer. And so it's a cautionary tale for your listeners. Okay. They should really listen to what I'm saying. So if you're in a fight with your wife or your spouse or your husband, and what are you fighting over? Figure it out, dial up your better parts of your personality, dial down your ego and pride, figure out a way to make it work. If you can, if you can, it's understandable, but try to make it work. If you are if you're working with somebody like Donald Trump, own the fact that you're working with somebody like this. Uh, you know, my departure at the time was explosive, but he let 80 plus people go after me. So I became oh, a yeah. pin. I became a pin dot in his mosaic. But and it should tell people what he's really like, you know, as a human being. But I made the mistake. I had to own the mistake. So then what I also had to do is speak out about it. Yeah. I had to go and talk about it because I love my country. I don't want to see the country fall into the pit. I'm not in love with all these left-leaning policies. I'm not going to tell you that. I think I think the President Biden is doing a good job, but I'm not in love with the uh, the radical spending. I'm not in love with uh, the hypersensitivity as it relates to the culture war. I'm not in love with the fact that everybody's got to have a microaggression Okay, and people are getting fired for ridiculous things and people are trying to cancel other people. Okay, one of the best things about what happened to me, as you pointed out, Corey, is they fired me. They tried to roll me, roll me in broken glass. They shit on me all over the late night comedians, every cable channel, ripped me to shreds. You, you know, I went back to work. You can't yeah. cancel somebody that can go back to his own job. Yeah. Okay, you know, okay, no problem, guys, you, you, no problem. When Stephen Colbert, I mean, the guy lit me up for 12 straight days. Longer than a Scaramucci. Yeah, longer than a Scaramucci, probably really me up. And then I called him. I got his cell phone number from his agent. I called him. He didn't believe it was me. I got on the phone with him. I said, hey, you know, uh, what's up? I mean, you're, you're lighting me up. Would you like me to come on the show so I could respond to you? <laughs> he was crazy. like, oh, yeah. I said, when are we going to do that? He said, well, how about tomorrow night? I said, let's go. Oh man, that's you know, we're right on his show. I mean, I had to own my shit. I know, I know I made stupid mistakes and I know I did things that were ridiculous. By the way, Steve Bannon cannot do what I said. Just so, let me put this up in the comment. Look at this. There's no way he could do it. He's not into hot yoga. And look at me. So, There's no chance that Steve Bannon could do it. I wasn't what I even going to bring that up, but since you brought it up, hey, listen, that it was, was fake news. I got fired for fake news. I, I spilled a little fake news. But it was really funny. I mean, you got you to gotta say it was, I mean, it was, it was, you was said. a fucking classic me comment. That's how I fucking felt about it. And by the way, okay, my thing, and I'm proud of this. I mean, there's a lot of things. My, the proudest achievement so far, perhaps in my life, is that I got Steve Bannon out of the White House. 
Because when my suicide vest was going off, I was reaching for that son of a bitch and I blew him right out the fucking front door and rolled him into Pennsylvania Avenue with me. He got fired on the same day as me. Oh, I didn't put two and two together. Like yeah. a little baby, he begged General Kelly to let him stay for two more weeks. Oh. You know, he had like knee pads on his elbows begging General Kelly. I walked out like a man the day I got fired. He tried to seek air cover with his resignation and all this batshit crazy nonsense. Okay. And let me tell you something. You think the country was in trouble under Trump, and maybe you guys love Trump. I don't really care, but I'm telling no, you, the no, country was in fan. huge trouble no. under Trump. No, we, we and, got and that. I, and I, and I got to tell you something. If Bannon was in that goddamn White House with Trump in, during COVID-19, forget about it. You would have had 2 million people dead. God only knows what kind of war these two imbeciles would have started. And you got to remember something about Bannon. He's smart. Yeah. But you know why I believe in God? You guys want to know? I mean, because we're talking Please, about religion yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. If you ever doubt God, I want you to know why I happen to firmly believe in God and I have unstinting faith in God. Do you want to know why? Yes. Yeah. Steve Bannon is a charismatic. Steve Bannon is an intellectual. He's read every book in this fucking room and all the books on your shelves. And he understands what he's doing, okay? And he's a danger to our society. However, God made him so motherfucking ugly to save the society from Steve Bannon. Also with the contemporary hobo fashion statement and the, oh the bulbous alcoholism and all that shit. So the Lord, if you don't believe in God, thank God that God blemished the son of a bitch up to save our civilization because he was a danger to the country. Yeah. Let me go back to your your what you were saying earlier about pride really being your fall in this situation, um, and also kind of how you you got back up and and fought back. Um, you said something earlier about cancel culture um, and about microaggressions. Do you do you feel like you put out a model out there for how these you know top level whether they're celebrities or people in business? should handle those situations? Because a lot of them go pretty quietly. Yeah, you know, I think things are, I think I think it's a case by case. I don't think one size fits all. Uh, I think Billy Bush should have done what I did. He did absolutely nothing wrong. He was caught humoring a lunatic in a bus 12 years prior to his departure from the Today Show. And so, you know- um, I don't know if I agree it, that he did nothing wrong, but- that's okay. a woman speaking. Okay. okay. I don't think he did that much wrong. Okay. He, he deserves a permanent firing and a professional capital punishment where he should never be able to work again. I don't believe that. Uh, the blackface comment from Megan Kelly. So we're, that's it. Her career is completely over. She's dead right. forever. We can never talk about her again. So she made a mistake on the air and she said something that was racially charged. And so we're up. Oh, you're canceled. We'll never see you again. Now, there are egregious people out there. There are the Weinsteins and the Woody Allens, and I think they fall into a different and completely separate yeah. category of despicableness. But there are people that have made mistakes or they made a uh, untoward comment toward somebody or they were overly flirtatious with a woman. I don't know. Should they, That's it. You're done. Never to be seen from in our civilization. No, that, that's, these are human no. beings. So I don't, I, I don't think you can expect that of them. But I, right. I also wonder in terms of your humanity, um, you're apologizing, you know, uh, and talking about your mistakes with us. Have you gone back to every person you believe you've wronged and apologized? Well, that would be impossible for me to do, right? Because, you know, you have to understand, I have said it on a public network. I've said it in a broadcast. I think you have to understand if you really want to 
take it to its metaphysical level, the fact that I helped Trump, even if I wasn't, if I helped him by an angstrom, by one grain of sand to become the president, then I am culpable for a lot of the things that he manifested. And so the hatred, the racial charging of the country, uh, the sort of pain and anxiety that he created in the immigrant class in the United States, all of that stuff. And I've said this to my contemporaries that work for Donald Trump, we are responsible for some of it. And so it would be impossible for me to go to every single person because it's tens of millions of people, but I can do your podcast and hopefully a few people will listen to what I'm saying and they'll say, hey, the guy is at least a real guy. He's speaking authentically from his heart and he has apologized. Um, when you're talking about specific people in my orbit, yes, I have certainly done that. But I, I'm telling you something more metaphysical about the situation is that a lot of harm was created by Donald Trump. Now, I'll tell you something else that I don't like is there's a very large group of people in this country that feel the way he does about the country. Okay, there's white supremacy, there's American nativism, and there's American nationalism. Uh, and it's being perpetrated by some of our former employers, it's uh, media companies, it's being perpetrated by personalities and pundits. And some of it's being done for profit in a very cynical way. Some of it's being done for belief, which is even more of a disaster. So, so Trump is a byproduct of that. Uh, he rose from that. You know, it, your, your society is not doing well if Donald Trump is able to rise the way he was and people like me were willing to support him. This is something's wrong in the society. Do you have a home and a party anymore, Anthony? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm not a I'm not a Republican as what they're calling themselves. I actually think they're the rhinos. They're sort of like the the tiny Tinos, yeah. you know, Trump in name only. You know, yeah. I think I'm a Republican in the old school Republican way. I'm probably more of a Rockefeller Republican than a Reagan one, but I'm I'm a New York Republican. I believe in practical common sense uh, ideas to motivate and grow businesses, and I think we have to have a strong muscular foreign policy. But we also have to have, uh, you know, we have to have a movement that creates aspiration in the society. You know, my my parents were less concerned about what they were making, Jessica, and they were more concerned about the aspirational opportunity of their children. And, and we have to figure out a way as a political party or as a society to recreate that, to start that fire again. Uh, that fire is out in a large part of the country. Some of its culture, some of its uh, training and education. And some of it is just, you know, we've set up a system where people like me can make a lot of money and people that are not educated or have to work by, by a product of their time and labor, they can't catch up. And if I, if I showed you CEO growth and wages, and I yeah. showed you my dad's group of people that he came from and their wages, they're discombobulated. You know, sure. and, and, and let me tell you this, you know, if you go back 50, 60 years ago, uh, the CEO was making 30 to 40 times what the lowest paid employee was making. Now it's over 300 times. So we're splitting the society. We're causing too much pressure in the society. Uh, we, we have to figure that out. And by the way, if we don't figure it out through our culture and through market forces, the, the Ocasio-Cortezes will rise mm -hmm. and they will force something on us that's unworkable. It'll be a workers party like philosophy. It'll be idealistic, but not 
congruent to human beings. You mentioned that, well, we're all human beings, so we're going to have levels of flaws in our personalities and our nature. I accept that. A construct like socialism or a construct like communism looks fantastic on paper to some people. Only if you don't believe that humans are flawed, though, it turns out. Well, that's 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 my point. <laughs> point and so yeah. those those systems never work properly. Uh, you need an incentive based system. You need a system that values hard work and returns uh, economic rent to those people that are innovative. You need that system. But we're a rich enough society to have a platform of equal opportunity. So if you're growing up in a ghetto, we got to get you educated. We got to help you out. Flip side is, though, we don't want people to have equal outcomes. So I'm about equal opportunity. We're a rich enough society now. Let's have a package of services for people. We can figure out a way to afford people's health care. The, the technology is uh, accelerating. We can figure out a way to educate people. A lot of people are being self-educated just off of this computer through YouTube. We can, we can go to Khan Academy. We can figure this out, okay, and create this platform of equal opportunity. But if you start capping people's outcomes, it's going to be a very, very bad day for the country. I might have heard incorrectly, but didn't I hear you start to make a defense for universal basic income? Well, I firmly believe in it. Uh, and the more work that I've done on it, I firmly believe in it. Uh, and, and again, you could do it through an earned income tax credit. If you're saying, okay, well, I don't want to pay somebody for not working. Okay, I got that. So give them the first twenty-five dollars or $50,000 where they have no taxes on it. So now that they can take care of their family and then start taxing them from there. Okay, this way you're incentivizing them to work and it works in the society almost as a uni- universal basic income. But my, my point is I didn't pick my upbringing. Maybe you guys did. If you talk to some of the uh, psychics, they tell you that you picked your parents. Maybe you guys picked them. I don't, maybe I picked mine. I don't think I did. Okay, I also didn't pick, I also didn't pick the body I came to the society with or any of that stuff. So, but I'm lucky because, you know, whatever my parents' flaws were, they raised me, they instilled, inspired discipline, and they helped me get to where I am. And so I owe them a great debt. Having said that, suppose I grew up in a single family, I'm sorry, single mom or single dad household in a very poor tenement somewhere, but I had a ridiculously high IQ, where am I going? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you have a platform in place of equal opportunity and a packages of services that you're providing for people, you're increasing the odds that that person can have a great aspirational American life. You know, the American dream, which you guys know is dying in the country is becoming more narrow. You know, what's interesting is hearing you talk about your experiences in the White House and politics, as well as now hearing some of your political philosophy. It sounds to me that although you and someone like AOC have sharp differences, uh, you could still, I could still see you in a room with her. There's enough overlap like there her. where it's fodder. I disagree with her, but I'll tell you what I like about her. She's got an incredible work ethic. She'll burn the rubber off the soles of her shoes to win. She's got a unique charisma. She's way more knowledgeable than people want to give her credit for as they try to demonize her. You know, remember when you have political adversaries, they demonize you. I'm I'm a two-dimensional D's, them, and those Jersey Shore cast member that grew up on Long Island. I got yeah. that. You know, people want to forget the fact that I went to Harvard and law school and built some successful businesses because they need to disfigure me. And they try to do that to her. And I and I see that, but I like her as a person. I admire her work. I think she's misguided 
about the movement. Her philosophy will not work. However, if she targeted all that energy and she targeted what she's trying to do in the right way with the right social policies and the right tax policies, it actually would work. Yeah. And so, yeah, and she's somebody I could work with. And she's somebody I respect because let me tell you something, I respect hard work. And she is a very hard, whether you like her or dislike her and blah, blah, blah. I got all my buddies. Oh, she's a danger to the society. Let me tell you something. She's part of the society. If you don't fix this income disparity, she's going to be your president. So you better wake up because that, that could happen. Okay. Don't, don't think that that couldn't happen. Would you have a harder time working with the likes of uh, Ted Cruz and Hawley and those guys? Yeah, because they're, they're intellectual hypocrites. See, at least she believes what she believes and she's got print a set of principles. They're amoral, traitorous cowards, those mm. two. Okay. And by the way, you know, when Trump went after my wife on Twitter, <laughs> who the hell does he think he is? Okay. I'm going to take Trump. Uh, uh, Anderson Cooper said, wow, this is like a bar fight. I said, first of all, this is not a bar fight because I'd be dragging him out of the bar. Okay. Yeah. We'd be in the street. Yeah. And just for the record, Trump's never been in a bar fight. <laughs> because that's how a bully acts. You know, they send missives off on Twitter. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? So sure. people in that party thought I was going to back down. I didn't back down. When Trump was coming after me, coming after my business, I, I doubled down. I tripled down on Trump. You know, you're not coming after my family. You're going after my, who the hell do you think you are? I gave you money. I gave you my time. I raised you money. You know what, how we started fighting over AOC. He said to those four women, go back to the countries you originally came from. I said on the Bill Moore show, hey, he shouldn't talk like that. They told my grandmother that, which is Italian-American coming yeah. here. Go back to the country they came from. Excuse me? My country too. Get out of the way. Yeah. Fat so smoothie. Get out of the way. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that's racist. I don't like it. And so he attacked me on Twitter. That's fine. I'm a big boy. Yeah. So then I attacked him. I think I called him the fattest president since William Howard Taft or some shit. And then I got knocked off of Twitter for six hours or 12 hours. And then when I got back on Twitter, he was hitting me some more. Then I hit him a few more times. I said, wow, you got a weak fastball. You don't even have to troll anymore. I mean, you're losing <laughs> your game because I know that shit upsets him. And then he starts attacking my wife. Yeah. Who does that? Only Donald Trump. Right. So Ted Cruz, are you kidding me? He, he had his wife eviscerated by Trump and then his father. And Ted Cruz is sitting there like a little lapdog. The hell is he doing? Yeah. What the hell is Ted Cruz doing, doing that? So you know? just to ch change the subject, you do have a book coming out on Bitcoin. And I think Jessica has a question for you. But first, I want to know, in all that I've read of yours and I've heard you on many interviews, it sounds to me like you're a pretty voracious reader. Is that right? I do read a lot, yeah. What, what kind of stuff are you reading now? Well, I'm reading a lot of different things. So I finished Bill's book because I had to interview him. Jake's book is great because it's about the Rat Pack in the uh, 60s. Um, those two books are recent books. Um, obviously, this is a great book on Bitcoin. If your people are interested in this, this will get them a really good understanding. It's Bitcoin, the Future of Money by Dominic Frisbee. Um, other books that I've read recently, and again, how do I read these books? You have to discipline yourself to read 30 minutes a day. If you can discipline yourself to read 30 minutes a day, but really read, okay, yeah. you can go through probably three or four books a month. And if you are a weekend reader, which I happen to be, so that's about two hours on the weekend, you can get to 60 books a year. 
Now, there are books that I read. I am not a finisher, by the way. So if your book sucks, I won't <laughs> read it. Okay. I'll get to chapter three yeah. and I'm throwing it in the round file. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, books that I've read recently that I like a lot, let me just go to my Kindle and I'll, and I'll, I'll read a couple of them. Uh, McMaster's book is an excellent book, by the way, Battlegrounds, a phenomenal book. Why? Because in a very apolitical way, he, he describes the risk going on. Okay. I also read for fun. The Yogi Berra book by John oh, Pesa. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. So funny. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Yogi Berra, you know what? The three of us are very unlucky. Can I tell you why? Why? Because we weren't Yogi Berra. Okay. We didn't <laughs> We didn't become Yogi Berra in our lives. Okay. This guy is the best of the best. He, he's won more World Series than anybody. He he is the best of the best. Okay. Um, uh, you want to read a great book about our, zeitgeist, our current zeitgeist is Doom by Neil Ferguson. Just came okay. out. I'm interviewing Neil in a few weeks. I usually have to read the book before I interview the person because I want the, you know, if, if, if I've asked the author to come on my show to be interviewed, I sort of feel like I got to read the book. So he feels like I put the work in or she that I put the work in for her. Oh, you know? there's some she's there, Anthony. What's what? that? I said, I hope there's some she's there. No, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I, I have, have to confess. Uh, I've read a lot of yeah. your stuff, but I couldn't bring myself to, to buy the blue collar president. I just couldn't do it. Well, that's because you you didn't you didn't know what was in it. No, I've heard you talk about it. I probably should just get over it. But well, I you love know, if how- you if you read the blue collar president, the reason why Trump never tweeted about it, he did not like the book oh. because I talked about what it was like growing up in a blue collar family, and I did say I gave him credit for seeing the blue collar yeah. angst yeah. in our society. I had to give him credit for that, sure. but I also said, but he's not executing. I also said that his Dilemma with the press is a disaster. I yeah. said he can't go after the press and and call the press the enemy of the people. Well, he can't do that. Okay, that's a disaster. And so he hated the book. Uh, and I think that's why he took the first moment he could to go after me on Twitter. The book came out. He waited six months. I said something on Bill Maher he didn't like. He went after me on Twitter. I mean, God bless. <laughs> But uh, I, hopping over the rabbit hole, I think, was my favorite of, of what I've read so far. Um, there okay, was but that was an honest book about like, you know, you know you're going to bang your head against the wall. You want to read a great sci-fi book? The Three-Body Problem. It's a Chinese book. It's an excellent translation. Zien Lu, The Three-Body Problem. It's a phenomenal book. Biography? You guys like biography? I love biography. The two, the two Sinatra books by Frank Kaplan are yeah. two of the best biographies, Okay. Uh, the Codebreaker book by Isaacson was quite good. I can go through you want an amazing book about Martin Luther King called Nine Days, the nine days prior to the 1960 election and how King basically swung that election to Jack Kennedy. Now, granted, the mob was helping him cheat in Chicago and West Virginia, but he needed Martin Luther King Jr. to win that election. So anyway, those are some of the books that I've read. But if you read Blue Collar President, call me back because I wrote a very honest story in there. I said, what happened? I described my relationship with Previs and Bannon. I, I tried to I tried to give them their perspective and my perspective. And if their perspective, which I do agree with, I'm not well-suited for Washington. Totally not well-suited for it because I'm not willing to do what these people are willing to do to each other. I don't I don't have that in my personality. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I've got five kids. Do you think I want my kids to see me doing that sort of nonsense to people? I was going mean, to ask you know, about that. They need to they need to know that I'm a flawed dude, but at least I got a good heart. I'm trying to do the right thing. If 
five kids. So after we had our third, Lisa looks at me. She's like, I think I figured out what's causing this. And she put a stop to that nonsense. So five kids. Holy cow. Well, I, but I'm on, you know, I got remarried. My, so I was, I was, I got divorced yeah. about 10 years ago and uh, I get remarried to Deirdre. We almost killed each other through the whole Trump thing. She, I mean, you want to talk about a set of nuts. Okay. She files for divorce on me the day that I'm named the, like the White House communications director. Okay. Oh, okay. She's got that. a set of nuts on her. Okay. That was just great. like a shot across the bat to wake my ass up. Yeah, that's great. But we're still together. We love each other. Good. You know, and whatever our mistakes are, we're working through them. How's your son doing, by the way? What's that? How's your son doing, by the way? Which one? I got four of them. The one that was born during the Trump administration? Which one? You, you, uh, there was something where you had to take him to the doctor a couple of weeks ago? Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's okay. He had the croup, which oh. is a weird at this time of the year to have that because that's usually like a fall winter uh, thing. He's okay. Yeah. No, thank you for asking. Sure. Yeah. No, but I got, I got four sons, but I think, I think, I think you, I think we scheduled this one. My, my 21 year old was having his wisdom teeth out. I think that's actually what you guys are referring okay. to. Yeah. But so that's what happens. You have five kids. You're always running in and out of these doctor's offices. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my oldest kid uh, graduated from Stanford Business School. He's building his own business down in Miami. Uh, my 25-year-old was just in a movie called Drama Drama. It's available on Amazon. She plays a high school singer. She's the lead singer of a high school band. So it's like a knockoff on a high school musical. Just came okay. out yesterday on Amazon Prime. Great. Uh, my son, Anthony, who's the biggest lunatic of all, and he'll be <laughs> mad at me for le- announcing on your podcast. He probably smokes a plantation of fucking pot, okay? Which I don't like, by the way. Um, he Do you have is any a- pot stocks, though, in your portfolios? I don't. I don't. I have too many drug addicts and, like, alcoholics in my family, so I'm, like, very nervous about pot. But in any event, he is the videographer for Machine Gun Kelly, Travis Barker. Oh, wow. A baby, uh, Kid Leroy, who was just on Saturday Night Live. So my son, Anthony is, you know, cutting these music videos for some of these legendary artists. Uh, He dropped out of college. He moved himself out to LA. Of course, I'm helping him. But point is, uh, I try to raise these kids with the following motto in mind, which is, you know, my my spiritual guide is Mel Brooks. (laughs) I've heard you quote this before. Yeah, it's the best line ever. I say it to myself every, every morning when I wake up, it takes the worry out of your system, okay? The first thing you should do when you wake up is put a gratitude list together. You want to be happy, write down all the great things that are going on in your life. Just the fact that you guys are sitting in those two beautiful rooms, having this podcast, you got so much to be grateful for. So write the gratitude list. It'll erase some of the pain you're living with because we all live with pain. So I got to show you since you said I, I just this morning, <laughs> there you go. I, it was just, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the dog. My dog just turned 14 yesterday. There you, you know, go. So thankful, thankful, right? thankful. I mean, so all of a sudden you get done with that list and you're like, wow, I, you know, this is great. And it's very powerful because you'll dial into yourself and you won't be dialing into Instagram. And this person doesn't have a blemish. And how the hell does that woman not have any cellulite? And, you know, I'm a guy, so I got to go in for breast reduction surgery in middle age, but you know, you, you take yourself away from that and you write down the stuff that you feel great about. But then the second thing is what Mel Brooks said. And I think it's the reason why he's 95. And what did he say? Relax. None of us are getting out of here alive. Relax. Okay. And you're going to, you're not getting out of here alive. Okay. You're not going to be the human being that cheats death. Okay. And what did, yeah. the, what did the Gaul say? 
the goal, you know, some, some would come to the goal and say, well, that guy's indispensable. And the goal would say, well, there's graveyards filled with people that once thought that they were indispensable. Okay, so don't take yourself that seriously. Like, enjoy your life. When I got fired from the White House, I did this skit with Vice Magazine. You can find it on the internet. They're like, well, what did you do? I said, I went to Italy. What do you think I fucking did? I went to Italy. I drank a bottle of wine. I ate a pizza. Yeah. And I like sat around and looked at the Roman ruins. I said, I'm in Italy. Who gives a shit about the White House? Let's That's move great. on. That's you understand great. what I'm saying? Yeah. Before we get to the end of this, I do want you to yeah. tell us about your book. And I know you've been a huge bull on Bitcoin. You guys have talked a little bit about your financial careers, obviously. Um, you, I know you've had a sort of an evolution on Bitcoin. Um, what's the book about? Why do you want people to take a sec- second look at Bitcoin? And what I think you told the... Uh, Bitcoin magazine recently that you kind of got a sense that it was going to be something when you were in the white house, there was kind of scuttlebutt. And I'm wondering what you picked up on there. Well, I mean, it's a long, long conversation, Jessica, but here's what I would say to you. When I left the white house, uh, uh, the first thing I did was buy the URL skybridgebitcoin.com because I knew that they were going to digitize the dollar. And even though they haven't done it yet, it was no way that they couldn't do it because the Chinese were digitizing their currency. And the U.S., the best policy for them, at least as it relates to fiat currency, is to make sure that they have dollar supremacy around the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's a tool for sanctioning. It's a tool for policy. And it's also a tool that lubricates American business that everyone has to use our currency as its reserve currency. Bitcoin is an interesting thing. You know, if I'm right about it, and again, forget about my book for a second, let's go to Dominic's. If I'm right about it, what Dominic says in the book is what the Nakamoto team or the group known as Nakamoto or the person is basically saying that we need a uniform standard that is not subjected to the whims or the capricious nature of politicians or policymakers. And so, so another they try. Standard. Yeah, exactly. They try to set that up. The scarcity, mm-hmm. transaction surety, uh, the transfer over the blockchain is seamless and confidential. Uh, but remember, it's not the best instrument to use for criminals because I have a wallet, you have a wallet, and look at what the feds did today. I know. They, they captured the <laughs> $2 million. Dollars. So when someone <laughs> said, well, it's used by criminals, well, it's used by criminals that are idiots. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's easier for me to pass you it's a suitcase. trail. It's easier for me to cash you a suitcase of $100 bills than yeah. it is for me to, to to flip you my coins over the blockchain because the government can track that. But, you know, so anyway, I think that this is going to be with us and it is a store of value is quick summary. Mm-hmm. And it's right now at about uh, 7% of the overall market cap of gold. And if I'm right, there's a very big move ahead for Bitcoin. And so those coins are going higher. And again, uh, you know, learn about it. And I'm telling my clients own one or two percent. If you got a million dollars, have ten thousand dollars in Bitcoin. It's not going to ruin your life if I'm wrong, but if I'm right, you're going to be a happy camper because you're going to have a nice size position. It could go ten to one. So That's along these good. lines, something you said in hopping over the rabbit hole, you said take the mundane. One of, among many things I loved about the book, take the mundane and reimagine it with more ambition and creativity. You were talking about the Salt Conference at that time. Take mm-hmm. the mundane and reimagine it with more ambition and creativity. Mm-hmm. It's often the simple yet powerful ideas that can be the biggest and the most game-changing ideas. Totally believe that. What are some of the most simple yet powerful ideas that could be the most game-changing that you're looking at now? 
Well, you know, you have to reform the So you're talking macro or for my business? Either one. All right. So macro, you have to reform the education K through 12 in the country. It's uneven and it's completely unfair. And you can do that now. Uh, we're learning over Zoom. We're learning. We're learning. So an example, if I have my local high school kids and they produce something called Star Wars, or I could hire George Lucas and Steven Spielberg to produce it, who should I use? Spielberg and okay. Lucas. Okay. So we now have that capability. We can take the best teachers in the world and we can put them on this messaging system known as Zoom and we can get them into people's classrooms to inspire and juke up people and to give people a package of educational services. So it is mundane. We can pay people. You can pay people part of your budget. You're on your phone looking at your Roblox, but I'm going to pay you to take ABC mouse seriously and get yourself to the sixth grade reading level. And if you do that, it's going to ka-ching onto your phone and you're going to have real money at the end of it. And you can go buy drinks or McDonald's or whatever you want to do as a kid. That's very simple and it's very mundane and it's about realigning incentives. Now, the teachers union doesn't like this sort of stuff. And so they'll fight it tooth and nail. And since they have a very strong, powerful political special interest, a lot of these ideas are taking shape, but they're not taking shape in the macro meta way that they need to. On a micro level, here's what I would say. Um, and this would specific to you as a person. How's that? As opposed to my business. At a micro level, you can be 10% better than you are right now. So there's something about your life, okay? I don't know if it's your eating habits, your sleeping habits, your workout routine, it's your relationship with your wife or your spouse or your 14-year-old dog. You could be 10% better, okay? And just imagine if you got up in the morning, and by the way, I'm not saying this with any sanctimony. I'm saying this with a person that some, as, as a person that sometimes 10% less, when I'm trying to be 10% better, I'm talking as a person that makes a lot of mistakes. So I'm not saying like, I've got it figured out or a guru. I'm just saying as a person, get up in the morning and say, okay, what am I not doing right? Well, God damn it. I'm eating too many Oreos. Okay. Uh, I didn't get COVID-19, but I got 19 pounds from COVID. Okay. I mean, I, Jesus Christ, I, I probably gained 16 pounds from the anxiety, the stress, the sitting in the house, you follow what I'm saying? I'm yeah. probably yeah. Now I'm down four from the 16 I gained. So I got 12 more to go. Okay. So what am I doing today? 10%. I'm going to eat 10% less calories. So if I eat 2000 calories, if I eat 1800 calories, am I really that deprived? I should probably be able to get through it. Or yeah. if I walked a mile, can I walk 1.1 miles on my treadmill today? And I'm telling you, if you think like that, it goes back to hopping over the rabbit hole. It's the incremental mm -hmm. that becomes exponential. Right. Okay. And if you think like that about the society too, then you can really transform the society. Yeah. But you got a bunch of Nimrods. They, all they want to do is have power and beat the living daylights out of each other on cable news channels. They don't really want to help the society. You know, yeah, they, so are you in the job to help the society? Okay. Well, what are you doing to help the society? And they'll, they'll come up with five talking points related to guns if they're on the right. And they'll come up with six talking points if they're related to, you know, fighting poverty on the left. But tell the truth. I have to unify the society. I do want to mention that uh, this is part, part that I, I didn't get to in the intro that is really important to mention is, 
you know, a lot of folks know a little bit about you in, in the finance world and the, the, the full Scaramucci, the 11 day. But I really want to mention that all of the charitable work that you do, the Kennedy Center, the Brain Tumor Foundation, the U.S. Olympic and Par- Paralympic Foundation. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, what you're doing on, on Mooch FM, the, the podcast, I'm loving it. You're contributing to society in very productive, uh, concrete ways. So I really appreciate that. Look, look, it's, it's nice here to say, you know, I always feel like I can do more, you know, I mean, because, you know, you're always sitting there saying, okay, what can I do more? And here's something you want to make yourself really good. Sure. The next time you're in a hotel, okay, drop a bomb on the maid. And I'm not talking about doing a deuce in the bathroom. I'm talking about <laughs> dropping a hundred dollar bill on the coffee table. Okay. You'll, you'll, because what'll happen is it'll have a positive effect on the person, you know? And, yeah. and you know, I just, I just left a, a, a place in Georgia and I gave the two maids a big tip. They looked at me and they couldn't have been happier. And by the way, is it really gonna, okay, wow, that's it. It's it's crushed my life savings that these two people that are working with their hands, okay? You know, my grandmother started as a maid. She couldn't get a job because the sign said, no Italians need apply. So she was cleaning people's homes. So when I'm in a hotel room, I'm looking at that person saying, okay, that, that could be my grandmother. Okay, that could be my grandmother from a hundred years ago that couldn't get another job. You know what? I'm reaching in my pocket and I'm dropping some. Let me let me show your viewers. You know, we're talking about Bitcoin. Let me show you what an Italian single is. Okay, this is an Italian single. This is a little Benjamin. Okay, see that? And Italians, old school Italians, always have them on. You put the beaners on the outside. They always they always have them on. Okay, they always have them. Okay, so you drop one of these and it changes the person's whole day. And it's like wow. Yeah. Anyway, just giving you some thoughts to think about. I appreciate being on. Yeah. Did you, before we go, did you have any questions for us? Well, what are we doing? Where are we going? Tell me what we're doing. Let's start with Jessica. So Jessica, what's the five-year plan? Oh. I am trying to make business work for me. I have been a journalist in in journalism for 20 years, working for big companies, and I'm ready to um, go out on my own. And I started a production company and I want to, I want to work on my hours and my terms because I want to be a better mother to my kids. And what type of journalism? What are we doing? Oh, I covered you. <laughs> I covered the white house for a Chinese network. Should I go back and read the editorial? Com- <laughs> no, I don't no, know. You know. We didn't have a lot you, to say. You. It was a short encounter, as you know. Let me tell you something. If I can make friends with Kelly, you got time for one really quick, sure. funny story. Okay. Of course. All right. So Governor Christie is a friend of mine, okay? But so is Jeff Sessions, okay? And for whatever reason, they had a cataclysm during the campaign, okay, over the whole Trump thing. And so Christie blasted him in his book, Let Me Finish. It was Christie's book, right? He talks over people, right? So he blasts Sessions. You know who else he blasts in the book? You? Yeah, that would be me. Blast me, okay? <laughs> do I give a shit? No, I do not give a shit, okay? I call him up. I say, listen, I'm going to pay you. Come to the SALT conference. You'll be one of my speakers. we got to have Republicans there and Democrats, right? I paired him with Jeff Sessions. Oh, that's okay. great. Okay, okay. now the, the story gets better. It's 7 o'clock in the morning in Vegas. I'm there early because i got to set up the place, right? The phone's ringing. It's Chris, right? It's Governor Christie. Hello? You little son of a bitch. Did you read my goddamn book? I said, yeah, I read your book. I blasted this guy. I can't go on stage with him. I said, well, let me fucking tell you something, okay? Not only did you blast him, but on page 178, you blasted me. Do I give a shit? No. 
by the way, I'm going on stage with General Kelly. And he fired me from the White House, okay? And he got Jessica writing nasty things about me four years ago. Okay, do I care? <laughs> no, I do not care. And you're going on stage with him. Shut up. Because, I love that you know the page number. Once okay, <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know if that was the page. I'm just you're doing yeah, that I for know. dramatic. But he goes, okay, 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 okay. I'm boarding the plane right now. I'll be there. I'm boarding the plane. And he hangs up the phone. <laughs> so I went to the Met game with him last week. I said, do you remember that idiocy? That's great. Did you have fun with Jeff Sessions on stage? Yes, I did. Okay. Let it go, man. Let it go. <laughs> I love you that know, you I went to the Met game and not that's the That's the other game. thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm talking about cross-cultural competency, which turns out that's how I met Corey, yeah. um, because I've been on all over the world reporting across cultures. And January 6th showed us that we have a lot more work to do at home. A lot of work. A lot to do. more work. And you know, that was my 50, I'm born on January 6th. Oh, ah. man, that was my 57th birthday. Okay. That's like Maria Bartiromo was born on September the 11th. Okay. So, you know, you're like I'm really on, you yeah. know, on the 6th of January and you know, you got to do this, you know, look, it's okay. We got to fight that. We got to fight that. And we got to fight for a democracy. So, yeah, but I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a lot of fun for me. And this was a, this is a real highlight, Anthony. It's great to get to know you a lot better. And I hope it's not the last time that we get to spend time together. Oh, anytime. Hopefully you guys will come to our conference. You can do your podcast from our conference. And um, that's a great can, idea. We, we can, yeah. well, I'll get you, I'll get you some interesting guests. Oh, that'd <laughs> be great. Right? That'd be terrific. Just let me know. My staff and I will work on it for you. Thanks so Sounds much. I all really right. You guys be well. See you. Remember what Mel Brooks said. Okay. It's all going to be fine. You're going to be dead before you know it. Just go enjoy yourself. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Be well. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. <laughs>